You are listening to the MZBC Students Greenhouse Podcast. For more information about Mount Zion Baptist Church, go to mzbc.net slash students or follow us on Twitter and Instagram at mzbcstudents. So, public school, did you guys have a good spring break last week? Yeah, one guy said no, it's probably just because he's being a punk, but... um, any, any private schoolers actually in here that you're, like, on your spring break? Yeah, a couple. Cool. How's spring break going? Good? Yeah? I'm glad you're here and not off somewhere else. But you're here and you're a friend, right? Oh, you have school. Oh, okay, so you're just here chilling all by yourself, huh? That's cool. That's all right. Well, here we are. So, catch you back up. Remember two weeks ago and then the previous weeks before that, We've been talking about Jesus, right? We've been looking at his life and learning ways that we can live like Jesus lived, right? So some of those, some of the main points uh, that I remember from my messages, I don't, just like you, I don't remember all of my messages, but uh, what I remember of those messages uh, is the main takeaways were some of the biggest ways that Jesus lived that we need to replicate uh, is in loving people. And this speaker still turned over here, and that's sad. So you guys were like all getting blasted and stuff. Try not to get feedback. Hey. All right. So loving people. That's uh, one of the ways that Jesus was different than all of the teachers in his time and before and even now. The way he loved people, right? Whether they hated him or ultimately murdered him, he still loved people. He wanted them to be redeemed and to be whole with God, right? And so in the same way, We should live our lives in a way that moves to action that shows love to people, right? Tonight, finishing our series looking at the life of Jesus, uh, and we're not going to look at a way that we can be like Jesus. We're going to look at something that Jesus did that changes how we should live, right? So we're coming up on Easter. I mentioned this earlier. You guys are smart. Um, Yeah, you guys are smart. So you know when I say... Why we really celebrate Easter, I'm talking about what? Jesus, right? I'm, there may be somebody in the room who didn't get that answer, and that's okay. But what Easter is really about is about Jesus. Um, but a lot of times, Britt and I were talking about this, and this is why we decided to, to preach this message this week, not just because it's timely and Easter's coming around the corner, but how many times, hopefully you guys have shared you know, the gospel and telling people about Jesus. But if you've not, it's okay. Um, From this point forward, it's not okay. But up till now, it's okay. Um, I'm guilty of this more than I care to tell you. But when I'm telling people about Jesus, I'm like, yeah. And Jesus, he lived and he was awesome. He did all these miracles. And then he he died on a cross, right? He shed his blood. He willingly went and died and his blood covered our sins so that we could be made right with God. And, and I focus on that a lot, right? The fact that Jesus willingly gave his life so that we can have life, right? And then we're like, oh, yeah, and he rose from the dead. And then you just kind of move on. And you're like, wait, 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 what? He rose from the dead? Gosh, I shaved my beard, and it's like a little prickly now, and so it's going to be like all over the mic. I'm sorry. Um, anyway, the resurrection, though, even though we skip over it a lot of times, we focus more on Jesus' death, which is significant. But here's the deal. Everybody dies, right? Everybody dies. Now, not everybody willingly dies, right? Um, So that's one way that Jesus' death was different. But his death alone 
is not what makes all of this a big deal, right? The resurrection is huge. The resurrection, Jesus rising from the dead, coming back to life, is what shows he is who he said he was, and he has the power that he said he had, right? It proves that everything he had taught and everything he had talked about up to that point is all true and is all real, right? So, we're going to do a lot of reading, but I think a lot of times we don't read our Bible in general as much as we should, but one of the places we don't read much is the actual resurrection story, right? So I'm going to read part of it, then I'm going to just kind of tell you part of it. But I want us to see in Scripture the real story. The first place I want to go, though, to show you the significance of the resurrection just a little bit uh, is in 1 Corinthians. So turn to 1 Corinthians chapter 15. It's right before 2 Corinthians, if that helps. Um, 1 Corinthians chapter 15, verse 12. Give you just a second to get there. 1 Corinthians 15, 12. All right, I'm going to start reading. You can keep, you can keep trying to find it. That's fine. I'm going, to, I'm going to go ahead and start reading. So Paul's writing here to the church in Corinth, uh, and he says, Now if Christ is proclaimed as uh, raised from the dead... How come some of you say that there is no resurrection of the dead? So he's telling Corinthians, hey, if Jesus rose from the dead, why are you questioning this? Right? I've told you that he did. Verse 13, but if there is no resurrection of the dead, uh, then not even Christ has been raised. Paul, remember this is being translated from Greek, and so the way they word things sometimes is weird. Basically, he's just saying, hey, you have to believe in resurrection, because if you don't, then Jesus didn't raise from the dead. Right? So verse 14 And if Christ has not been raised, and this is important, so everybody looking, right? We're in verse 14. And if Christ has not been raised, then our preaching is in vain, and your faith is in vain. So Paul, what he's saying here is that if Jesus didn't really raise from the dead, if that's not really true, then everything we stand for as Christians, everything we do, us being here in Greenhouse, is all pointless. If all Jesus did was go to the cross and die, then what we're doing here is pointless. So the resurrection is this point in time that all of salvation, all of our rescue, all of what we stand for as Christians in this room, what we hopefully are telling the world about, hinges on Jesus raising from the dead, right? So this is significant, not just knowing the knowledge that somebody told me that Jesus rose from the dead, but actually believing that Jesus raised from the dead. I think, for those of you who've been in church for a while, right? I think we're guilty too often of knowing things, but not believing things, right? So we've been told Jesus raised from the dead. And we say, oh yeah, Jesus raised from the dead. But do you really, honestly, deep down, I'm being real, okay? Deep down, do you really believe that? That a guy a little over 2,000 years ago was for real dead for three days in a tomb rotting 
And then he breathed again and came back to life because of the power he has as God. Do you honestly, truly believe that? It's the most significant thing as Christians we believe. If we don't get our mind around that, then everything else is pointless. So now that I've started us on a down note, all right, let's flip over to the Gospel of John, a few pages back, and let's look at this story. Let's, the, uh, John will say it, and, and, I, and I'll make sure you see it there. So we're in uh, John chapter 20, but he'll say it. The reason that the Bible exists, right, is so that we can know who God is and the things that he does for us, right? The gospel writers, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, have all written down accounts of Jesus' life so that we can know what Jesus was like when he was alive, right? And so that we can see what happened 2,000 years ago and that it can help us further believe what we've been told, right? So I need you to hang in. I see some of you tired, and I see, the, and I know that some of us, myself included, are pretty easily distracted. But this is huge, okay? And this is really exciting. I, I don't know if I can convey without, like, running around screaming like a weirdo how, like, exciting this really is. But it is, okay? So I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to read you chapter 20, and then I'm going to tell you stories from chapter 21, okay? So here we are, John 20. Here we go. Well, let me set it up. I'm sorry. I lied. I'll get you in. And I'm like, well, huh? So where, we, where, we're falling, where we're jumping in here in verse 20, Jesus has already been in the tomb. I want to tell you this because this is significant, okay? So when Jesus was taken off the cross, he was put in a tomb. And in, in that tomb, it was this like stone cave kind of deal. Uh, he was wrapped in these linen cloths and he was set in this tomb. And then this ginormous stone is estimated to weigh two tons, which is 4,000 pounds, right? Roughly, I don't remember, is it four or five? I don't know, somewhere. It's, it weighs more than your average size car, all right? This stone weighs more than your average car, and they've, like, rolled it in front of this tomb and then set some professional, like, well-trained military guards in front of this. And just in case some people can come and move a two-ton stone, they've set some guards there. Because the government who killed Jesus thought that his people, his followers, might come and steal his body. Right? That's where we are at this point. For real reading now. Chapter 20, verse 1. Now on the first day of the week, what day is that? Wrong. Sunday is the first day of the week, people. Sunday is the first day of the week. Gotcha. All right. So on Sunday, Mary Magdalene, won't get into her story, but it's really cool. One day we'll talk about it. Mary Magdalene came to the tomb early. While it was still dark, so she came, up, she came before the sun. I don't know who crazy is up before the sun, but she's up before the sun. She goes to Jesus' tomb and saw that the stone had been taken away from the tomb. So she ran and went to Simon Peter and the other disciple, the one whom Jesus loved. Side note, that's John. I guess he's real excited about being the disciple Jesus loved because he just refers to himself as that. Remember, John's the one writing this, and then he writes... Oh, yeah, Peter, and then the disciple Jesus loved, talking about himself, right? So John, this is Peter and John. Uh, so Mary came to them and said to them, we're in uh, verse 2 still, they have taken the Lord out of the tomb, and we do not know where they have laid him. So she thinks, this was, this was actually, I was talking to my wife 
Jesse, she's back here. She's awesome. Uh, I was talking to her today about this as I was reading through this story over the last few days. Um, I hadn't read it in a while, so confession time. Hadn't read this particular part of the story in a while. Uh, I guess I never really thought about it, but so the government does all this because they don't want Jesus' followers to steal his body, and then whenever Jesus isn't there, she thinks that the government stole his body, and so everybody's like, well, I didn't take him. Did you take him? And they're like, well, I didn't take him. Did you take him? No, I didn't take him. Did you take him? So they're like confused about what's going on. Like Jesus is gone, and everybody's like, well, they must have took him. No, they must have took him, right? So that's where we're at. It's just interesting to me. It's JJ's brain. It's weird. Verse 3, here we are. So Peter went out uh, with the other disciple, John, and they were going toward the tomb. Both of them were running together, but the other disciple outran Peter. I think this is John bragging again. I'm just going to assume that John is like, like, hey, I'm better than Peter right here. This is totally JJ interjecting this, but, but John's like, so the two disciples set out, the other disciple, me, outran him. I got there first, right? So John, uh, he says, uh, outran Peter and reached the tomb first and stooped to look in. Remember, this is a little stone cave, and so he gets there and he, kinda, he looks in, he like, peers in like, what's going on here, right? Um, here we are, where we are. Then Simon Peter came following him and went into the tomb. So Peter gets there and he just like barrels right in. John just like peeks in, but, but Peter like just runs right in. He saw the linen cloth that Jesus had been laid in, uh, laying there. And the face cloth, which had been on Jesus' head, not lying with the linen uh, cloth, but folded in place by itself. There's some significance to that too that we can't get into right now, but just know that there is. Then, verse 8, then the other disciple who had reached the tomb first, so he's still pointing out like, hey, I got there first, uh, had reached the tomb first, also went in, and he saw and believed. For as, uh, for as yet they did not understand the scripture that he must rise from the dead. Then the disciples went back to their homes. So at this point, the disciples still don't get it. They think that Jesus has just been taken. They don't get that Jesus has done what he's been preaching he was going to do for three years, that he was coming back to life, right? Here we are, verse 11. They're still, in the, they're still at the tomb while well, the disciples left. Mary is still at the tomb. But Mary stood weeping outside the tomb. And as she wept, she stooped to look into the tomb. So she too is kind of taking a look back into the tomb, like in, kind of in disbelief. Verse 12. And she saw two angels in white sitting where the body of Jesus had laid, one at the head and one at the feet. They said to her, Woman, why are you weeping? She said to them, uh, they have taken my Lord, and I do not know where they have laid him. Having said this, she turned around and saw Jesus, but she did not know that it was Jesus. There, you'll see a lot of this uh, as Jesus reveals himself to people uh, after he's resurrected. At first, they don't recognize it's him. Some of the implication there is that his resurrected body looks maybe different than the body he had. We don't know what any of that means, but at first, a lot of people didn't realize it was him. But then as he spoke to them, they were like, oh, yep, that's Jesus, right? That's what happens here. So she doesn't realize it first. We're in verse 15. Jesus said to her, woman, why are you weeping? Whom are you seeking? Supposing uh, him to be the gardener, she said to him, sir, if you have carried him away, tell me where you have laid him, and I will take him away. Jesus said to her, Mary. She turned and said to him in Aramaic, which was in this time they spoke, Hebrew, Aramaic, and Greek in this area. There were like these three main languages they spoke. Uh, Aramaic being probably the predominant one at the time. So she said, Rabboni, which means teacher. 
Verse 17, Jesus said to her, Do not cling to me, for I have not yet ascended to the Father, but go to my brothers, the disciples, uh, and say to them, I am ascending to my Father and your Father, to my God and your God. Mary Magdalene went uh, and announced to the disciples, I have seen the Lord, and that he uh, had said, excuse me, and that he had said these things to her. So, she, so at this point, Mary's the only person who has seen Jesus alive. Right? Sunday, resurrection day, Jesus comes back to life. He reveals himself to Mary and says, hey, I'm here. Go tell the disciples that you've seen me. So she does. So here we are. Fast forward. The evening, uh, on the evening of that day, somebody's happy about something. Uh, On the evening of that day, we're in verse 19, the first day of the week, so we're still on Sunday, that night, the doors were locked where the disciples were, were for fear of the Jews. So they're in this room. We call it the upper room. We think it was the same room that they had had the Last Supper with Jesus a few days before, right? So they're in this room, and the doors are locked. John points this out for a specific reason you'll see in a second. The doors are locked because they're afraid that the government, the Romans, are going to come in, or the Jews, the Pharisees, are going to come in and try and arrest them or even kill them, right? Because Jesus is missing, and they're trying to get to the bottom of it as well. So they're in this room, doors locked. Uh, so we're in the middle of 19, where the disciples were for fear of the Jews. Jesus came and stood among them and said to them, now Jesus didn't have a key to this room, right? We don't, it doesn't tell us specifically what happened, but it does say the doors were locked, and then all of a sudden Jesus was there standing with them. It's pretty cool in my book. I don't know. I don't know if you like floated through a wall or what. I don't know. But Jesus was there. He's got the power to do whatever he wants to, right? Uh, so Jesus said to them, peace be with you. Uh, when he had said this, sorry, turning the page here. When he had said this, he showed them his hands and his side. Remember when he was crucified, they put nails in his hands, and that day a hand, it was actually right here. They would, it would go between these two bones so that he would hang there because if you put it in a hand, it would just tear out. So when they say hand, they're actually talking about like from here up in that day. This was hand. Uh, so the nails were there in his wrist, really. Uh, so he shows them the holes, and then also remember, uh, after he had actually already died, they pierced his side to see if he was actually still living or not. It punctured like through into the lungs and that kind of stuff. So he had these holes in his, in his wrist, also his feet, and then his side. Where am I at? I turned the page. Here we go. So he showed them his hands and his side. Then the disciples were glad when they saw the Lord. Jesus said to them again, peace be with you as the Father has sent me. Even so, I am sending you. When they had said this, he breathed on them and said to them, Receive the Holy Spirit. If you forgive the sins of any, they are forgiven. Uh, they are forgiven them. If you withhold forgiveness from any, it is withheld. So all the disciples here except Thomas, right? So here we are in verse 24. Now Thomas, one of the twelve, called the twin. We don't know what that means. Uh, well, I think we actually do. I don't remember at the moment what that means. Uh, was not with them when Jesus came. So the other disciples told him, when, he, uh, when, he, excuse me, when I have seen the Lord, uh, excuse me, pause, everybody look up, everybody look back in. I'm gathering my composure here. I'm just excited about this. This is good stuff. Verse 25, starting again. So the other disciples told him, we have seen the Lord, but, uh, but he said to them, Unless I see in his hands the mark of the nails and place my fingers uh, into the mark uh, of the nails and place my hand into his side, I will never believe. Now, Thomas 
was actually a really good dude. If you look back at some of the earlier stories when Jesus was alive, uh, the first time, um, when he was alive, and, and the way Thomas was, he was actually this really courageous, like really cool dude. He gets a bad rap because of this moment right here, because it's a significant moment, right? The disciples are saying, look, we saw Jesus. He's alive. I promise. He rose from the dead. He's for real alive. And Thomas says, look, man, until I see it for myself, I'm never going to believe that. Never. So now we call him Doubting Thomas because he had this moment of doubt. But he was actually a really good dude. All right, verse 26, back in. Eight days later, so Jesus waited eight days. Uh, Eight days later, his disciples were inside again, and Thomas was with them. Although the doors were locked, so he points this out again. They're in that same room. The doors are locked again, and all of a sudden, Jesus, I'm here, right? Jesus uh, came and stood among them and said, Peace be with you. Then he said to Thomas, Put your finger here and see my hands, and put out your hand and place it in my side. Do not, uh, do not disbelieve, but believe. Thomas answered him, My Lord and my God. Jesus said to him, Have you believed because you've seen because uh, you have seen me, blessed are those who have seen uh, who have not seen and yet have believed for those of us who have believed, and hopefully those in the room who will believe hopefully um, this is saying that we 're more blessed than one of the disciples because he had to see Jesus in the flesh to to believe that he had risen, but we believe, and we 've never seen Jesus right you guys have never physically in person seen Jesus right if you have, please tell me about him it 'd be awesome right. No, so side note there. All right, verse 30. We're 30 and 31 here is what I was talking about before. This is John telling us why he has written this down. All right? Now Jesus did many other signs in the presence of the disciples, which are not written in this book, but these are written so that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ and the Son of God, and that by believing you may have life in his name. So John has written these things down so that you would so that we would believe in Jesus' resurrection. And then he says, and belief in that resurrection is what gives you life. Right? Eternal life. Chapter 21, I'm just gonna tell you these stories. They're cool stories, right? So it skips ahead a couple of days. There are seven of the disciples, Peter being one of them, hanging out like by a by the Mediterranean Sea there or one of the, I don't know, lakes or something. They're hanging out by something. And Peter says, I want to go fishing. He's a man after my own heart, right? He's like, I want to go fishing. And the other side was like, sure, let's go fishing. Remember, before Jesus called them, they were fishermen. So all they knew, other than hanging out with Jesus, was to fish. So they decide they're going to go fishing. And it says they fish all night long, and they don't catch a single fish. These guys who are trained like professional fishermen fish all night long, and don't catch a single fish. Sun, uh, sun comes up. Jesus, Jesus appeared. He's on the shore. And it said they were about a hundred yard, about a football field length off the shore, right? Jesus stands there and he hollers out, Hey, have you guys caught anything? At this point, they didn't realize it was Jesus. And they holler back, No, we haven't caught anything. We fished all night long and haven't caught anything. Still not knowing it's Jesus. Jesus hollers back and says, All right, throw the net on the other side of the boat. These guys were like, all right, they like take and throw the net over the other side of the boat, and it says immediately their nets are just completely filled to the point they can't pick them up over into the boat with fish, right? It even, I'm not sure why, I guess John gives us like details so that we know that this stuff's for real. It says they caught specifically 153 large fish. 
no significance in that number other than we know that they took the time to count. Oh, we caught 153 large fish, all right? So, but the fun part about this part of the story is, right, so these guys are like trying to haul in this net. At this point, they realize it's Jesus, and Peter, being the guy that he is, he like takes off his cloak, and he like dives in. He's like, starts swimming for the shore, like, oh, Jesus, this is awesome, right? And the other guys are like, cool guy, I guess we'll just pull all this in, right? And they like paddle over, dragging the net of fish with them, and finally get it over in the boat. And they get to shore, and Jesus says, hey, bring over some of the fish. Let's eat. And so I don't know who has fish for breakfast, but Jesus and these disciples did. It's cool, I guess. I don't know. Uh, so they eat, they eat breakfast. At one point, Jesus and Peter are, are alone. Uh, they have this one-on-one conversation. Uh, just before Jesus died on the cross, Peter who had been one of the most zealous disciples, one of the, the most like dedicated disciples, had denied even knowing Jesus. Specifically, he denied three separate times that he'd even known who Jesus was, right? This conversation that Jesus and Peter have is Jesus redeeming Peter, saying, Peter, look, I know that you did that, but you, and these are the words that Jesus says, right? He says, Upon this rock, it's kind of this turn on, the, on Peter's name in Greek. He says, you're the one that is going to be the foundation of my church, like big C, global, Christian church. You're the foundation. So he redeems Peter, this broken, sinful guy who had denied knowing Jesus before Jesus died. Jesus is now saying, look, man, I forgive all that. You are the foundation on which I am going to build this church. I think that's pretty cool, right? So moving forward, Jesus, over a 40-day period, right? So that Sunday, Jesus raises from the dead. Lots of cool stuff happens over a week. Uh, And then over 40 days, Jesus is on earth, appearing to different people, 500-plus people, right? So we don't know an exact number, but we know at least 500, possibly more people specifically saw Jesus in the flesh, after he had risen from the dead, right? The last thing that Jesus did was on top of this uh, one particular mountain, he just like, I, it doesn't say other than he just ascended into heaven. I don't know if he like floated, like, hmm, I don't know what that looked like. But Jesus like floated off into heaven, right? Uh, and then the next time he comes back to earth is the second coming, all of Revelation, right? When he brings in this new heaven and earth, and we can talk about that some other time. So this resurrection that so many people doubt is actually one of the most well-documented events in all of history. There are real military historical battles that have less documentation and eyewitness accounts than the resurrection of Jesus. Yet people teach those military battles in school and deny that Jesus rose from the dead. Right? Right? There are 500 plus witnesses of Jesus' resurrection that he had come back from the dead for real and not a single one of them, not a single one ever took it back. Not a single one ever said, oh, yep, we were lying, right? I don't know about you guys, it's hard enough for me by myself to keep track of a lie. Like if I lie about something, that's why I don't lie usually because I'm terrible at remembering what I said and so it's just better to tell the truth so I don't have to remember, right? Um, It's hard enough for me to keep track of the lies that I say, but to get 500 people 
to all say the same thing and to, and to carry that all the way to their grave. Several of the disciples, we don't know all of them, but several of the disciples were actually killed because they were followers of Jesus. And right up to the moment of their death, not a single breath of theirs ever said that they were lying about the resurrection of Jesus. All the way until the moment they took their last breath, they believed with all their heart that Jesus had risen from the dead. Now, something like this leads, should lead you to one of two actions. When you hear this story, there is no middle road on this. Or at least there shouldn't be a middle road on this. You either wholeheartedly believe that Jesus did raise from the dead, and it leads you to this life that lives in this belief that Jesus has risen from the dead, and you're excited about it. Or you just don't believe it, and you live a life separate from Jesus, right? There is no middle ground on this. Either you believe and you're a Christian or you don't believe and you're not. The cool thing is when you believe, you're on Jesus' team, right? This, this guy who was murdered had the power to defeat death and come back to life. I had a picture and I forgot to, I forgot to put it up here. I forgot to put it on there. But there's this kid, okay? Let's put it like this, okay? There's this kid, for real, a seventh grade boy, He's like 13, 14, right? 12, 13, I don't know. Who is 6 foot 10 and 250 pounds. So he's like, he weighs as much as I do, but he's like this tall, right? He's in seventh grade. Can you imagine like, I don't know, where's Donnie? Donnie, stand up. <laughs> Donnie's a pretty average seventh grader. He might be a little on the short side, but I, I mean, we make fun of him. But Donnie is a pretty average seventh grader, all right? Can you imagine Donnie on a basketball court, trying to guard this kid's belly button, right? I mean, like, you can sit down, Donnie. It's all right. You're cool, man. Everybody give Donnie a hand. Yeah. Donnie's awesome. All right. All right. So this kid in seventh grade is out here, like, Superman dunking the ball, like, crazy, like, can play basketball for real, and is, like, giant, especially compared to his classmates, right? Can, which team would you rather be on? This guy who's, like, giant and can, like, play basketball hard or Donnie's team. I'm sorry. I'm just being honest. Just being honest, right? So this guy is out here dominating all teams because he's just, he's just bigger and better than they are, right? It's a little goofy, but in the same way, when you believe in Jesus' resurrection, you're on his team, and he's bigger and better than everybody, Right? Jesus is the king of the universe. He's the biggest, most powerful being that has and will ever exist because he's the creator of all. Right? So when you believe in this resurrection that I've given you much proof about, you're signing up for a life of being on his team, but also a life that bears evidence that you believe in this resurrection. So the challenge tonight, and then we're going to move into small groups. The challenge tonight is a step back, Christians in the room, and ask yourself, do you really honestly believe this story of a man a little over 2,000 years ago who died and was like for real dead for three days and then came back to life? And because of that, you can have life eternal. Non-Christian in the room, same challenge. 
after hearing this story, do you believe? Do you believe in Jesus? Do you believe that this is real? If so, you're at a point in your life now that you have heard this, that you either accept and believe and live like you believe, or you deny it and walk away. Let me pray and we'll move into small groups. God, I thank you uh, for being so awesome that you would come to this earth and you would die and you would show your power through this crazy cool event that we call the resurrection, that you would defeat death and come to life so that we can have a relationship with you even though we are broken, evil, sinful people. You still want to have a relationship with us. Holy Spirit, move as we go into small groups and help us to get this concept, to understand better what this means for our life and how we should live. In Christ's name we pray. Amen.